morning, it's the end of chapter 15, and as you know, the end of chapter 15 is part of this greater text of chapter 15, which is, of course, part of the greater text called the book of Acts. But it is interesting, as we look at it, we, we already saw in chapter 15 that there was, in chapter 15, a conflict, wasn't there? Right? We had a conflict between... Uh, various believers and how they viewed Gentiles and other group believers who viewed the Gentiles differently. And uh, so basically it was summed up in the need, whether there was a need to be circumcised or not. So it wasn't just a conflict over uh, the issue of circumcision or Gentiles, but it really ultimately was a conflict about what is the gospel, isn't it? That was a conflict. What is the gospel? saving faith. That's the issue. It is clearly the issue of the beginning part of Acts uh, 15. As we wrap that up, as we did last week, we find immediately going from conflict number one, this conflict over the gospel, the conflict with the Gentiles, the conflict over circumcision, immediately jumping from one fire to another, don't we? Because today we find another conflict. It's very easy to look at this conflict and say, well, it's totally different from the previous conflict. But I think it's a lot more similar than we would like to think. Now, it's certainly not about Gentiles, and it's certainly not about circumcision. But it is a significant conflict between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark, which we just saw as Tom Reddit. We're going to talk about that. And I think that, if I may just say this right off the bat, I think what a lot of people say about this conflict is not right. 
let me just say it right off the bat. There is a general understanding that most likely we know John Mark was probably a young guy at this point in time. And a lot of people, a lot of theologians, a lot of commentators will say that most likely what John Mark was going through was maybe some sort of homesickness or something. And so that's why he he had left earlier. Because that's what happened. They were on their missionary journey. We already saw that. He left. And, and so some people think, well, a lot of people think, well, he's probably just homesick, he's away from home, and so he's homesick, and so he left to go back home again. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's something much more significant than that. I think it's absolutely much more significant than that. We're going to see that as we work our way through the text. But we're going to wander through the text this morning and try to see all of the important things that are in this text and see if we can uh, put it all together for a really important uh, concept. So... I'm going to wander through it again. Tom's right about going to wander through it again. You'll notice Paul and Barnabas have been ministering in Antioch. After some days, that is quite a few days, Paul says to Barnabas, he turns to Barnabas and says, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So let me just pause on that, verse 36, for a second. Uh, maybe a little more than a second, but let me pause on that for a little bit because this is the intro to the whole entire entire text that we're looking at this morning. The intro is, Paul and Barnabas had traveled, and as we know, chapter 13, 14, or 12, 13, and 14, they traveled and they planted churches, right? They became saved by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the result is that churches were planted. Now they had this conflict after they got back from there in Antioch, and they went back down to Jerusalem to make sure that all the leaders, the apostles, and elders were on the same page. They were, ultimately, and then they bring it back to Antioch, and they proclaim it to Antioch, the whole issue of circumcision. And they stay there, Paul and Barnabas stay there for quite a time, ministering to the church at Antioch, building them up, strengthening them, helping them to grow in maturity in Christ. At some point in time, after some days, Paul and Barnabas come to the realization that the church in Antioch is doing... Okay, doing well, right? They're doing well. But Paul and Barnabas, Paul specifically in the text, starts to have seemingly some concerns. Let's go check in all the other churches we planted, all the other places we went and saw people get saved and churches being planted. Let's go back and check them out to see how they're doing. Because when they left, the churches were infantile, weren't they? They were infantile churches. They were small. They were they were immature churches. And so Paul has, the intro here is very important. The intro that we have here with Paul, as it says in verse 36, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. You can't miss the point that Paul has a heart, not just for evangelism, but he's got a heart for what? For Christians, for Christians, and not just generically Christians, but for Christians maturing in Christ. Did you get that? Now, you know that's the case, right? If you read the New Testament at all, you go to the various epistles, the various letters that Paul wrote, what do you see in the beginning chapter almost every time? And I say almost because it's not there in the book of... Anybody know which book it's not in? Nope. Paul didn't write Acts. Paul's epistles, there's one book that doesn't have a word of encouragement in it at all in the beginning. Anybody know which one? 
Galatians. Is that what you said too? Yeah. Yeah, Galatians. It, it, first thing Paul says is basically, who's bewitched you? Right? In other words, he's saying, what happened to make you so stupid? That's how he starts out the book of Galatians. But all the other books, he starts out with loads of encouragement, and, and his prayer for them is full of what? Is it full of thanksgiving or is it not? Of course it is. Almost every almost every book is full, except for Galatians, is full of all sorts of thanksgiving for what? Because they're nice people? No, because they're growing in the Lord. They're growing. The Spirit is at work in them. It is evident. And, and in, in a number of the churches, Paul even says, it's known throughout the entire region. And then he says, it's echoing everywhere. So it's full of encouragement. You get the point in almost every letter. Even in Galatians, you get the point because he's so grieved over it, right? But his focus is on th these new believers and mature believers. And what's his focus on? That they're growing in Christ. His heartbeat is not just evangelism, but it's, are these people who we proclaim the gospel to, are they continuing on with Christ, or are they floundering, or are they walking away? His heart is just absolutely concerned. And you see it everywhere. And that's really important in the text. But I just want to pause on it for a second as well, and, and let us just ruminate on that for a second. The Spirit is clearly at work in Paul, isn't he? The Holy Spirit is absolutely at work. You can't miss it. The Holy Spirit is at work in Paul's life. We don't want to put this on Paul and say, man, Paul's just an amazing guy. That's what a lot of people do. No. The Spirit is clearly working at Paul, and one of the evidences that the Spirit is clearly working at Paul is what? and walk, let's call it what it really is, he wants to go walk and take ships and go through all sorts of hardship and check out. Do you have a sense that this is not some sort of flippant idea? Paul got up with one day and said, hey, what do you say we go on this really cool journey? This is really serious <clears throat> commitment because Paul, controlled by the Holy Spirit, is hot after people growing in Christ. It's a, it's a clear evidence of the Spirit at work in Paul. And if I may just stop, and I'm going to stop several times, because I think it's important that we stop several times throughout this text, and ask ourselves, is the Spirit working in me this way? Do I find my life, not perfectly, of course, but do I find the spirits at work in me creating things in me that cause me, creating a heart in me that caused me to care about people in their spiritual walk? And please, catch what I just said. I'm not talking about that I care about people and just how they're doing. That they're surviving coronavirus time. Or whatever the case may be. It's about their spiritual life. That's what Paul is, right? It is interesting. Persecution's going on. And what's he concerned about? Their spiritual life. Isn't that where he's at? How they're doing spiritually. That's his focus, isn't it? 
know you see that also in Peter, in first and second Peter. The persecution is raging and Peter's concerned with what? Other glorified Christ. That's what he writes two books about. How are they glorifying Christ? And are they glorifying Christ? Is there a focus in the persecution on Christ and his glory and his, and his fame being that Paul and Barnabas and Silas and John Mark and, and Peter and everybody else is just ignoring any physical struggles. We know that's not the case because in, first, in Second Corinthians, Paul's trying to raise money for the church in Jerusalem that's going through difficulties. So we know that that kind of stuff goes on as well, but the emphasis is upon what? Spiritual maturity and spiritually growing Christ and honoring Christ in the midst of the difficulty. Does that make sense? Let me just become intensely practical with this. Let's create a scenario where someone we know is a believer has someone they love deeply that suddenly dies. You know what the typical Christian does with that person? They'll pray with them, but for the most part, what do they do? They'll provide food for them. They'll, they'll, they'll let them cry on their shoulder. They'll... They'll um, uh, see how they can help out in any way. Those type of things, right? But how often, when someone is in that situation, is the real emphasis upon ministering to that person? How often is the focus upon how can I help this person love Jesus more and see Jesus more clearly, specifically because of that situation? And you know what's really interesting? When someone actually tries to do that, you know what happens oftentimes? They get shut down and rebuked for it. That's what happens. So often. It's troubling to me. And I'm just using that as an example. But I see that all the time. When we see in Paul immediately, he's like, they're going through difficulty, persecution is raging, let's go see how they're doing spiritually. Make sense? Let's see how they're glorifying God spiritually. That's what's driving Paul here. With that in mind, we come to verse 37. <clears throat> verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Now understand something. John Mark is Barnabas' nephew. That's firstly, got to recognize that. They're related. So it's his nephew. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. 38 introduces a conflict, though. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them to Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. You'll notice verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. We're going to stop right there for a second. So Barnabas says to Paul, hey, this is a great idea. Let's go check out all the places where we planted churches, where people got saved, and see how they're all doing. And, by the way, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul says, no. Conflict between Paul and Barnabas. Immediate conflict. If you don't think it's a conflict, then you miss verse 39. There arose a what? Sharp. sharp disagreement. Does that sound familiar to you? 
sharp disagreements. That sounded all familiar. Exactly. The, right, right at the beginning of the Jerusalem Council and in Antioch, right? In chapter 14 and 15, sharp disagreement. And Luke chooses to use almost the exact same idea here. It's not the exact same words, but the same presentation between Paul and Barnabas. And I do not think for a second that Luke is just writing words here. He's putting these words, these specific words in here to cause the reader to say, hey, whatever's going on between Paul and Barnabas, it is some in some way is similar to what was going on in the church in 15 and in Antioch at the end of 14. Something really significant is going on here. There's a sharp disagreement. There is incredible intensity between Paul and Barnabas here. Over what? Over John Mark. Which wouldn't make any sense if John Mark was just homesick. Would it? It wouldn't make any sense at all. But it would make sense when you look a little more closely to the text. Again, now, starting in verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone, uh, gone with them to the work. The word that Luke chooses here in verse 38, when he says, uh, take with them one who had withdrawn from them, that word is intriguing. That word is used a bunch of times throughout the New Testament. In every single time it's used but this one, it is clearly referencing withdrawing from the faith. Every single time. Without fail. Withdrawing from the work. Apostatizing turning away. Now I know in the text here it says um, withdrawn from them. That's what it says. Withdrawn from them. But we have to ask ourselves, when it says withdrawn from them, what was Paul and Barnabas doing? They were what? They were preaching and evangelizing and planting churches. That was the sum total of their identifier Except for to add more importantly, the big umbrella is what? They were identifying with Christ. Withdrawing from them in this text is withdrawing from that identification. It is consistent with how Luke used the word, with how Paul used the word elsewhere, how Peter used the word, how every single New Testament author uses it every single time. I would argue that when John Mark withdrew during the first, what's called the first missionary journey, when he withdrew from Paul and Barnabas, he withdrew because he was walking away. He was walking away from the faith. I think it's very important we get this. Now, from my theological bent, 
I would argue if somebody walks away from the faith, they're what? Saved or unsaved? Unsaved. Unsaved. And what Paul is looking at with this guy who walked away, and we talked about it, I believe, when we first looked at where he walked away, it's intriguing that, and I find it very intriguing, that Paul didn't chase him when he walked away. If what I'm saying is true, it's very intriguing that he didn't chase him, isn't it? I think it's very important we recognize that. Paul didn't chase him. He was after something. He was after the gospel. But this guy is saying what? In effect, he's saying at this point in time, I don't want the gospel. I don't want to identify with the gospel. I do not want to identify with Christ. And now here we find at a later point, how much later we can't be specific, but it's not a huge time. 18 months, 19 months, I don't know, somewhere around there, maybe. I'm just guessing. Barnabas, and maybe, I guess it sounds like that, um, that John Mark is now in the area again. And Barnabas says, I want to take John Mark with me. Let's take John Mark along as well. Now, I can understand that. Here's your nephew. Put yourself in Barnabas' shoes. Here's your nephew. Do you care about your nephew or don't you? you love your nephew? If you love your nephew, wouldn't it be best to have him where the gospel can be heard all the time? Wouldn't it? I mean, that makes sense. Doesn't it? Yeah. But for Paul, he says what? He says no. In no uncertain terms, Paul says no. He's not coming along. Why? But the answer is kind of simple. He's not coming along because we're going to do what? To minister the gospel and to encourage those who are believers who may very we really don't know, who may very well be floundering, trying to figure their way. We're not going to bring someone who's going to be doing what? Distracting from the ministry, detracting from the ministry, maybe even preaching a different gospel. We're not doing that. This is about the gospel. This is about Jesus Christ. This is about the proclamation of ministry into the church that, that needs to be reminded of who Jesus is. We don't need to bring that kind of distraction, which by default, people think, well, if he's with Paul, what? They're going to think what? By default. If he's with, if he's traveling with Paul, what? What he says must be true. He's thinking right along with Paul, right? He's thinking about the same thing, but he's not. And so Paul says, no. Absolutely not. And so it goes on again. And notice it says in verse 38, we were withdrawn from them. This clarifies what went on. We were withdrawn, withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and did and and had not gone on with them to the work. The idea is he withdrew from the work, right? Very clear. Verse 39 again, And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. In other words, you know what that means? Verse 30, what was that, 39? You know what that means? It means it didn't get resolved. Resolved. It didn't get reconciled, did it? You want to take John Mark? I'm not going with you. Yeah, you're not going with me. Right there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're going to take John Mark, not with me. 
that's not going to happen. So it didn't get resolved. Again, this is just an aside, but it isn't an important aside. I think there are times, I think there's often times, when we will try to reconcile with people, and we will actually reconcile with people, but it's not reconciled. Does that make sense? I think oftentimes we'll be in conflict with people, and we will try to reconcile, and ultimately, the only way reconciliation takes place is by compromise, not repentance. That happens too often, doesn't it? The reconciliation takes place through compromise, and what happens if, if it's about the ministry of the gospel and compromise takes place? What else gets compromised? The very gospel gets compromised. The very message that's being proclaimed gets compromised. It's great when people can be reconciled. But when it comes to the things of the scriptures, the reconciliation must never take place via compromise. If God has declared, then God has declared. And for Paul, his great fear, and it's interesting to me when I look at this, it's not something that's really clear, like as in, well, Barnabas is saying that we're, we're still saved by, by, by circumcision. Or, he's not saying that Buddha's, Buddha's God. <laughs> you know, or something really bizarre like that. He, the, the, the reconciliation is not taking place. Why? Because Paul is looking at Barnabas and saying, He's going to be a detriment to the ministry, not an encouragement to the ministry. Why? Because his heart's not there. Because he may not even be saved. And so Paul's saying, there's no compromise here. The message we are proclaiming cannot be corrupted by bringing people along that are not committed to the same gospel can't do it. Will not compromise. Really important lesson. We, are, we live in a, in a time frame where everything is about compromise, isn't it? It's always about compromise, isn't it? It's constant. And sometimes it's appropriate. Ken, if, if you've got a customer and, and he wants this and you, and you say I can't do that, you work on a compromise, don't you? <clears throat> and then you work on a compromise on price after that, don't you? So it's a double compromise, as you say. You too, Jim, right? <laughs> it happens all the time, doesn't it? In the business world, I get it. Right? As long as it's not unethical or immoral, I get that. You do that too, Jim, don't you? It's all the time. When it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not about compromise. Because when it comes to your work, Ken, for example... Who's, who's king on your work? I know ultimately God's Clay. always king. What? Clay. Clay. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's dual kings, isn't it? Right. You know, you and the customer, right? And so you got to negotiate these things, work it out. But when it comes to Christianity, who's the king? Jesus Christ. Period. Right? Thus saith the Lord. Period. There's no compromise. I, I cannot be. That's why we're called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, right? Ambassadors don't compromise. Ambassadors proclaim. 
the boss saying, no, we're not doing this. There's, there's too much at stake. There's too high of a risk of compromise. We're not doing that. So, after a while, it reached a point where it's like, this is going nowhere. And so what happens? Verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. Their relationship, what does that mean? Their relationship what? Fractured. Say it again. Uh, the disfellowship. Disfellowship. Fractured. That's what it means. The relationship ended. That's what it means. Call it what it really is. I like that word. Uh, fractured. That's a good one. It fractured. Ended. <clears throat> over. It went several ways. What's really telling is the next verse. But Paul chose Silas and departed. Now, some people get into a big, long discussion whether Silas was a better choice anyway or not. I think it's irrelevant to me. But Paul chose Silas and departed. Notice what it says next. Having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Jump back into verse 39, the very end. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. I want you to think about the end of 39 and 40 combined. There's an amazing set of contrasts here. Do you catch the contrasts? One was commended, the other one wasn't. One was commended and one wasn't. It's, it's obvious, isn't it? you see that? Paul and Barnabas are commended. I'm sorry. Paul and Silas are commended, but Barnabas and John Mark are not by the church. you see that? That's contrast number one. Contrast number two, verse 40, but Paul chose Paul and Silas, or I'm sorry, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, verse 41, and he went to Syria and Cilicia doing what? Strengthening the churches is contrast with verse 39. What is Barnabas and John Mark doing? Sailing away. Going to nowhere. What does it say? Sell off Cyprus. They just sell off Cyprus. Maybe they're ministering in this text. Maybe they are. But they certainly aren't going. Maybe they're not. Right? They're selling off Cyprus. That's what it says. But Luke is establishing this double contrast. One's, one's commended by the church. The other one's not. Which means, by the way, the church recognized something. Right? The church recognized something in Paul and Silas that they're not recognizing in Barnabas and John Mark. And so the church sides with Paul and Silas and commends them. The result is that Paul and Silas take off for where? For Syria and Cilicia for the express purpose of strengthening the churches and the scriptures go on to record that very thing. Do they not? Doesn't it? It records that's exactly what they do. Barnabas and John Mark they go to Cyprus. And I think it's really important firstly that you recognize again that this really stark division that's taking place here it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, that's what it is. Paul and Barnabas are going to minister the gospel, and they're saying, 
if Paul is saying, I'm sorry, Paul and Barnabas were going to, but then it ends up being Paul and Silas, because Paul says to Barnabas, no, the gospel will be compromised if we do that. If we go with John Mark. So we're not going to do it. And if you're going, in, in effect, although it doesn't say it's here in the text, if you are going to side with John Mark, your nephew, you're not siding with Christ. You're not siding with the gospel. That's what he's saying. That's exactly what he's saying. The, 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 the contrast is stark here. And, and the reason why I'm focusing on this is because that's not what happens in the church today. That's not how we think about the gospel today. At all. That's not at all how we think about it. But it is how they thought about it here. And it wasn't just Paul thinking this way because the church commended Paul and Silas. The whole church was thinking about it the same way Paul was. And so Paul takes John, I'm sorry, Barnabas takes John Mark and he leaves. And Paul and Silas then go with the blessing of the church and they glorify Christ. Now, that's a pretty stark scenario, isn't it? It gets better. Not in this text, it doesn't. But it gets better. In two ways. In one way, it gets better because Paul and Silas go out and do what? They strengthen the church. The churches are getting strengthened. And Paul and Silas are going out and they're preaching a gospel that's not compromised, right? They're preaching the gospel and people are being saved. Churches are being strengthened. Churches are being planted. But there's something else going on too. In Colossians, I believe it's 4, 10, Paul writes to the Colossian church years later. He writes to the about 10 years, maybe longer than 10 years, about 14 years later. He writes to the Colossian church and he commends John Mark. He commends John Mark to them. And he tells them, if he comes and speaks to you, you do well to pay attention. <laughs> and then, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we find Paul, at the end of his, almost the end of his life, saying to Timothy, and by the way, Timothy, will you do me a favor? We send John Mark, because he's of incredible value, value to Send it before winter. And have him bring my coat and the parchments. Because <clears throat> he's incredibly valuable to me. And by the way, it's really interesting. He says parchments, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the scriptures that I don't have because I'm in prison. He's saying, have Timothy bring my parchments, my pieces of scripture that I have. We didn't, they didn't have scripture like this today, back then. They had pieces that they wrote. Paul says, Timothy, have him come. He's of great value to me, and have him bring the parchments. You know what that means? That means John Mark is in possession of Paul's parchments. That's what it means. His parchments have been entrusted to John Mark for care. And he says, have him bring my coat and my parchments so that I can be in the word here as I die. Uh, no, no, different. I, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's different. 
Charles, you would know better than I. My mind's pulling blank on that. That's a good question. Um, I thought it right. was the same. Maybe it is. It may be. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't remember off the top of my head. Be that as it may, it is interesting to see the transition in John Mark from someone who cannot be tolerated by Paul because of it doesn't fit into the gospel to someone who is absolutely essential to the spread of the gospel. So on the one hand, Jim, you were saying something. They never explain when and how he changed. No, it doesn't. The scriptures don't tell. Somehow he changed. Yeah, somehow there was a change there. There's no question. But it became a point where John Mark was incredibly valuable to him. So he goes on and and is ministering eventually to the Lord as evidence later on in Paul's life. My point is that there is a stark and sharp disagreement. And the sharp and stark disagreement was why? Because the gospel is important. Because the gospel is valuable. Because the glory of Christ is so essential. That no matter what, this must be upheld. And so the call, I would argue, the call in the text is the very thing for us. How valuable is the gospel to us? The conflict was about the gospel in the beginning of 15. The gospel is that important at the end of 15. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. How important is it? Are we willing to allow compromise to maintain, and this is really important, to maintain friendship, and maintain relationships? Or are we saying well, the gospel is what is important? The gospel is of ultimate value, of ultimate importance. Nothing else overcomes that. And then we have to be encouraged at the same time that as John says in John 10, what Jesus says in John 10, all the Lord gives me, he loses none, right? Even though John is a mess, or I'm sorry, uh, John Mark is a mess at this point, all the Father gives, he loses none. Because John Mark ultimately ends up being incredibly valuable and is a, a, an asset to the gospel of Jesus. The point of the text is, though, for Paul, the gospel is what's ultimately of importance. The gospel is, is what should be cling, cling that the believer should cling to, no matter what. Whether we are alone or in a group, the gospel is what we should be cling to, held to, treasured, valued, no matter what the cost. So the question before us is that very thing. Is the gospel that valuable? What happens in our lives when, when conflict arises like this? How do we respond? Is it about the gospel? <clears throat> or is it about something else? What is the gospel to us? What is the value of the gospel? How much are we willing to let go of to maintain the gospel? Certainly when we look at Paul's life, isn't that what we see? Not just here, but isn't that what we see? Isn't it on display all the time what is what Paul's would let go of for the gospel? Is it there? It's constant. Because the gospel is that valuable to him. All the way down to his life. Let's pray. Lord, help us. As we 
consider this text and consider how you use all of your text. So I pray that you will help us to wrestle with your gospel and to ask really hard questions about our value, the value that we have in your gospel. But I pray that you will help us to examine our lives to see if the God, because it's easy to say the gospel is important, but help us to examine our lives to see if our lives say that it is. Lord, I pray that you will help us to treasure what you call a treasure. And that you will change our lives so that we will consider done what you consider done. For your glory, your praise, and your honor. In my name I pray. Amen.